My name is Alex. I'm an IT professional. I live and work in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin. What is objective good? What does it mean to know objective good? And is it possible to know objective good without God or maybe even with God? Because certainly in this day and age, it is a mutually exclusive concept to know good and to know God. When we go forward into the earth and try to spread good as within our ability to do so, are we doing it with what intent? So what is objective good? Can we agree that servicing those in need to the best of our ability and opportunity, is that good? Can we agree that looking out for our fellow man, saving someone from harm, not doing harm or being fair within your dealings with other people, is that good? If that is the truth, then where is that truth anywhere within any of the teachings of Islam, Christianity, or Judaism? And certainly out of the Ten Commandments, we can derive the 322 other commandments that are listed within the books of Numbers and Leviticus. But does it really describe objective good? That's what brings me here to share my story, that I no longer believe that objective good is actually tied with religion. And in fact, objective good is within all of us. And if you remember the now famous speech that Charlie Chaplin gave at the end of the movie, The Great Dictator, when he talked about the kingdom of God existing within all of us. And if that is true, then we and ourselves are our own gods and our own kingdoms. I was raised Catholic. I was born in Central America, baptized within the first eight days of being born, went through all of the catechism. I still have my original copy of the Baltimore number three. Um, I still have my original Bible. I still have my original rosary. I do not regret any of the education I received. I do not regret the instruction I received. But the indoctrination did not take, as it doesn't with a free-thinking individual. Having to accept in totality a frame of thought, the way that in totality you would have to accept any philosophy or any dogma, well, that is called totalitarianism, and all totalitarianism fails. It failed for Pol Pot, it uh, certainly failed for Stalin, it failed for Mao, and it's failing today. Free people in a free society that are not under the control of a religion uh, produce more. That's what uh, Carl Sagan talked about, that in a free society people will always navigate towards a tendency for the greatest amount of freedom, for the greatest amount of contribution to the common good, which, again, comes to my original statement, what is objective good? And I say that all of us know what objective, because whether you're here, whether you are in India, whether you are in Africa, we all have the same values at, at our heart. We all want to provide for our children. We all want to uh, provide for our parents in their age. We all want to be in love and to take care of that one person, we want to be taken care of. And of all the interesting things that I could, with all humility, talk about about myself, my religion, my sexuality, my uh, political affiliation, those don't even make the top 100 list. Because at the end of the day, it's how we treat each other. And I learned that not 
through religion. I learned that through the fellowship, the true fellowship of being with people. And, and let me tell you, until you are actually with people, until you are actually interacting, and until you are actually dealing with people on an equal basis, you don't learn it, and you never will. My name is Alex Holman. I am a grateful father, and I ride the atheist underground. There is no God. Then why are we whispering? Stand by to receive our transmission. Logic clearly dictates. If you're an atheist, scream atheist! I mean, but what is an atheist? I don't, I... An atheist is someone who doesn't quite believe that there is somebody out there, some god out there. Well, then to me, you're an idiot. beautiful downtown in Philadelphia in the state of apostasy. It's the Atheist Underground. You like being dead. That's what they said about being alive. Arriving in Mortality Lane. Thank you for riding the Underground. This is Mortality Lane. Death is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, or black or white, or Mexican immigrant from a shithole country, or, or from uh, you know, blue blood from New England, you're still going to suffer death like everybody else. Uh, atheists have no corner on it, nor does anyone else, because it's a great equalizer, and no matter what you profess, you're going to go through the same <laughs> misery or process and unwillingly inflict the result on your family. Wake up. Time to die. To a scientist, death, of course, is a mystery. It's fucking dead. A death by inches. Dead, dead, you are dead. He's dead, Jim. Bring out, get it! You're dead to me. You're dead to me. Dead to me. I'm dead! Dead! Dead by dawn. Dead by dawn. But now he's dead. Oh, that's the sweet release of death. Let me tell you what I think we're dealing with here. A potentially positive learning experience that can involve. Shut up, you American. You always talk, you Americans. You talk and you talk and you say, let me tell you something and I just want to say this. Well, you're dead now, so shut up.
what is death other than non-being, other than never having been there? I think Aaron Ra would say that he would not mind, he's not afraid of being dead, he was just not pleased with the prospect of becoming dead. But at the end of the day, when you really think about death, death is a having lost several members of my family. Death is more of a burden on the living, more of a burden on those left behind. And when you think, or when I should say I think of my late mother, my body still remembers my mother. My, my body still remembers her smell, and I'm still triggered by certain sounds, the reminiscent sound of her voice that my cousins can imitate. I still react to her picture, and certainly in my dreams, and waking in half lucid state at 3 a.m. and I, I look into the doorways and see what I want to see her shadowy figure which is my imagination that death for her has long been over but for me will never go away so what what is uh, death It's an experience of the living it's not an experience of those who passed because those who have passed are certainly at peace oh man that's deep Welcome to Mortality Lane, an appropriate stop because I'm about to kill my kids. <laughs> Come on, Rob. This is a joke! They're about to kill us, one thing or the other. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> uh, how does an atheist deal with death, with his own death, with the death of his people, with uh, tell, telling your kids you know, what, what to think about your own mortality as uh, these things come up as we get uh, older and life moves on and we start getting closer to those days? How do we deal with those feelings when uh, it's so easy for those with religion to lean back on their comfort myths and the thought of an afterlife of pure bliss in heaven, the streets of gold, and all your jerky Christian neighbors with you? I hope, pagans. What did you tell your kids, Mark? You know, I don't know that I've been asked that one by my kids, but I have had two friends ask me about that. Uh, one very free-thinking and one uh, very Christian. And... When I was talking with a Christian, what struck me is the absolute terror she had in death. You know, and I, and I hear the whole, you know, heaven thing can be very, you know, the carrot. But for her, the hell thing is quite the stick. And she was really quite freaked out about it. And I think in her mind, it was like, as an atheist, if I'm going to hell, shouldn't I be equally terrified? And for me, it's like... I think it was a Mark Twain quote, you know, that he, you know, was dead for billions of years before he was born and, or hadn't, or wasn't alive for billions of years before he was born and didn't, you know, suffer the slightest inconvenience from it. Um, and I think if I got into a conversation like that with the kids, I would, I would do the same thing. Like, you know, do you remember before you were born? Of course not. You know, were you freaked out by it? Of course not. You know, and it's kind of the same thing, you know, so for me, it's, um, it's not an issue, and it sounds kind of peaceful and relaxing, to be honest with you. Um, and then for the other friend, um, was really concerned and just wondered from an atheist perspective, how do I think about that? And for me, I was telling him, I am so lucky to have actually been alive and to have had this time, you know? And so to focus on the present, you know, and to feel so lucky to, you know, have had that opportunity, you know, to me, that's the the bigger deal. So I would use one of those two tactics with the kids, kind of focusing on the present or 
making them realize it's not a scary thing. What about for people who don't have kids? Well, I know I'm going to die because everybody knows they're going to die. I'm not afraid of it. Um, you know, like you're saying, things happen before you were born. Things are going to happen after you die. They're just not going to involve you. And it doesn't scare me that I won't be around anymore. And it, you know, it didn't scare me that I wasn't around prior to my birth. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't, I've never believed in heaven or hell. So I never had to worry about what my choices meant. That doesn't mean I make terrible choices now because I'm worried about whether I'll go to heaven or hell. When I die, I die. I'm not going to be concerned too much about what happens, I guess. I, I have a little bit of concern, certainly. I really don't like the religious version of, no, you're going to be alive with your whole family forever. Um, no, no, thank you. I, that's like a never-ending Thanksgiving dinner that you cannot leave. That, that sounds like hell. Right? Stuck that forever. Terrifying. Um, but you know, I, I think we're we're gonna miss out. Um, you know, at the age that that we're all at here. But maybe the next generation, you know, will have the the ability to preserve themselves. Um, you know in a way that we don't. But is, what is it that you're afraid, that you're concerned well, about? Well, it's just, you know, the the end of all things. I don't believe in a heaven or hell, but what I do worry about is the actual act of dying. Um, you know, I worry that it's going to be painful. Like, what? It, like, how is it going to feel for, like, a heart to stop and the brain to stop working? I hope it's not a cancer or some other... Uh, debilitating disease from which I suffer a lot. I would really hope that I die peacefully in my sleep. Um, it's okay, Joanne. You'll never hear it coming. <laughs> so I sometimes wonder if I would be religious in a moment of knowing about death. Like, I probably won't be religious at death because, you know, we can't think about religion at that point. But I do sometimes wonder, like, if I know I'm going to die, I might be the kind of person to panic. I... I know for sure that I wouldn't panic only because at one point I thought that I was close to death and my biggest concern was having somebody there for my mom. So I told her to call the pastor because having her there freaking out was freaking me out um, and this was after a pretty bad accident. So I didn't know what was going on. Nobody told me what was happening. In that moment, I had no idea what was going to happen to me, but all I knew was that I wanted my mom to be okay and I wanted my dad to be okay, but my dad wasn't there. So at least I could have somebody that would comfort her. And I was, I guess, I was fine in my own confusion <laughs> is the best way to put it. Because I knew at that point there was nothing that I could do. And most things to me seemed out of my control. So I was, I was okay with what could have happened if that was what was going to happen. If heaven was a bunch of puppy dogs and bunny rabbits, I'm all in. Like, I will convert right now. You guarantee that's what's going to happen. I'm converting. But I, I don't want to spend time with family that I don't like. I always, I had trouble envisioning the heaven that's described in the literature. The pearly gates, man, you know, a mansion with a room for everyone and streets of gold. It just seems like an ugly place. It seems like a tacky <laughs> place that I don't yeah. feel like that would be a tra I never felt like the paint, the picture that the Bible painted of heaven 
was an attractive one. It doesn't talk about fields and bunnies and, you know, it talks about a gaudy city. Quiet, yeah. Rob. I want the bunnies. <laughs> I'd be with you if they, you know, if heaven was a, you know, well, a fishing stream and a green I think mountain. it was all because when you, when you die, you're supposed to get like the riches of heaven or something. So, you know, gold equals riches. I, maybe that has something to do with it. Do you need money in heaven? That's I don't know. Money. The church, is, the <laughs> church has get, the money. I, how do you I get really to watch God the movies in heaven money. if you don't have money? <laughs> And then what happens when you gamble all your your heaven money away? Do you have to live on the streets of heaven? Do you, do they, uh... you just chip them away. They're made of gold. <laughs> well, like the, the one Mark Twain quote I remember is hell, hell for company, right? Heaven for weather, hell for company. Yeah. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, the existentialist uh, playwright, said hell is other people. Yeah. That is... <laughs> At the end of a, or in, it's one of the lines in his play, No Exit. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. Any place, yeah, like, are there lines in heaven? You go to any place? Like, everybody always yeah. wants to meet the same people. Is there, like, a line that you have to, I want to meet Einstein. You got to wait in this gigantic queue yeah. to, to see, and he's, like, yeah. so sick of people coming up to him. The cell phone store is not faster in heaven. You know it's not. <laughs> I think I'm with Jason. I'm on uh, science. Maybe science will come up with a way, but I, I think I'm going to put my eggs in the cryogenics basket. I think. Yeah. I'm gonna, but first, bit, kind of in a Captain America way, I think, where first I take a serum where that gives me a perfect body. <laughs> and then I go in the ice for, you know, until they, they, they figure out how to keep me alive forever. I think that, that, that'll work. And then you, you envision, like, the brain in a, in, a, in a jar like Futurama, right? Where well, Stephen Hawking's like, brain is yeah, floating in a... <laughs> more like uh, some sort of computer program. That's like Westworld. Your consciousness, yeah. In America, we, we usually discount the misery suffered by families of people we kill in our unending wars. Whereas if you lose a single American life, it makes the front pages of the New York Times, and we never stop talking about it. So we really don't, it's a very racist, sexist, and uh, even, uh, what's the word, is uh, totally discriminating against people who consider unworthy the way we treat death in America. Starting with uh, funerals and cemeteries and moving on from there. The government wants control over everything in our lives. They want to they uh, mutilate your sexual organs as a baby. And then when you die, they want to control how you get buried. Their laws about uh, how you can properly be buried and uh, write coffins and how much you got to pay and all the process you have to go through. Government wants control over you from cradle to grave. An atheist is opposed to this, naturally, because control of a person's life, birth and death, is a totally religious thing, in my mind. When you say that government controls our death, how how are they in control of our death? Like, what, what is the process that you see that the government has their hands in every step of the way that you feel they're in control? Okay. For example, in some states, you can't be cremated. The family can't bury you on their own property. And there are rules about, uh, about coffins and where you have to buy them. We just had a Supreme Court case I guess from Louisiana, uh, about, uh, I guess it was a Roman Catholic uh, 
brotherhood that wanted to make its own coffins. They were prohibited by law in Louisiana for making coffins to bury somebody. Now, what's this all about? Now, an atheist, you figure you're dead. There's no sanctity of the body. This whole idea of consecration and sanctity, the religious concepts. And a body is not sacred. It's not holy. There's none of this stuff. So why all the rigmarole? It's like a Roman Catholic uh, mass. All the stuff you go through to bury somebody in this country. To the point of the coffins, um, for me personally, I would think it's because we do choose to have some family members embalmed before burying them. And should those, those liquids are not exactly great, which is one of the reasons why they line a lot of burial plots with concrete, put the coffin in and more concrete and then more dirt. So the fact that there was an issue about building your own coffins, that I can see as a as a valid point, depending on what what those what the processes that those bodies go through before being put into the coffins. Well, what happens when a person believes that life should continue and you should contribute to the to the universe, and when you die, plant yourself under a tree? There's, that sounds better than a lead-lined uh, concrete coffin. That's going to be there interfering with uh, the Eisenhower Expressway. When right. I was a kid, well, they diverted the Eisenhower Expressway. But the government isn't saying that you need to be embalmed and buried in a coffin. There's, you can be cremated. I wasn't aware that there are states that you can't be cremated or cities or anything. Um, but there are states that are allowing people to be buried with a tree planted above them, and you're basically becoming the nutrients for the tree. There's, there's all kinds of burial options that don't involve using coffins and don't involve using embalming processes. And those are perfectly legal and they're acceptable in a lot of states across the U.S. So I don't see, I don't, I don't think that the government has as much of a control over burial as you say, but I mean, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. Nobody can just go bury themselves on their own land. You can't just go do that. You cannot bury yourself on your own lot. Yeah, that's well, true. It'd be hard to bury states. yourself, I guess. But That's kind of <laughs> gross, though. I wouldn't want to be digging a, a garden plot and be like, oh, dude, grandma's bones. You know, like, or, oh, yeah. gosh, there's still hair on the skull. Who was that? Was that auntie? You know, it's like, I don't, I don't think it's appropriate to bury people in your own property. That being said, I have buried many pets in my backyard, um, but they weren't embalmed they weren't in little coffins they were just planted in a bed that i put flowers on and i assumed they were just going to decompose and that was fine with me so well Mm -hmm. i i think it's inappropriate to enshrine your private beliefs into the law of many states yeah that's the point and now au's weather jesus The Global Climate Report with a rapturous twist. And now with a Weather Jesus update from Wilmette, Illinois, here's Stormy Joe. Thanks, Rob. I'm here at the Baha'i Temple in Wilmette, Illinois, on Chicago's North Shore. I'm just a few miles from my alma mater, Northwestern University. Go Wildcats! What are you, a cheerleader now? No weather, Wildcats. Weather Jesus. What? I'm standing outside the temple with Irina, who emigrated to the United States from Iran. She's a fellow Northwestern alumna pursuing her MBA at Kellogg. Irina, 
thank you so much for meeting with me. Now, what the hell is Baha'i? Baha'i is the belief in progressive revelation. Meaning that we see all religions as united in one continuous chain of wisdom and guidance. Oh, so all the bullshit is related somehow? Shocking! Who came up with that one? The faith was founded by Baha'u'llah in 1863, when divinely inspired writings began to flow from his pen. He is the promised one, and his coming was foretold by the Bab. By Bob. The Bob. Oh, the Bob. Like Bob Hope or Bob Newhart? No, like the Bob. So this Bob is your John the Baptist, and this Hulabulaga is your Jesus. Real original. Did you know that our temple is the world's largest structure made completely of precast concrete? So it's a giant lawn ornament? Well... Who do you pray to? A giant gnome? <laughs> we believe God is unknowable. He's represented by this inspirational symbol. A doodle. Inspirational symbol. Ooh, like the artist formerly known as Prince? Is Prince your god? Because I can kind of get behind that a little bit. Purple rain. Purple rain. No prince. No king. None of that. Look, sister, I love that we both have Northwestern in common. But as an MBA student, I imagine you're not too high in the totem pole. Is there some kind of sacerdote I can talk to about whether Jesus has been seen here? A sacer what? A sacerdote. A priest, a witch doctor, or a deacon. Someone in charge. Boy, Northwestern lets anyone in now, I guess. Miss Cho, there are no clergy in the Baha'i faith. We are led by democratically elected spiritual assemblies. All adult Baha'is over 21 qualify for the assembly. Once a year we gather to pray and meditate. Then each person writes down the names of nine adults he or she wishes to nominate. And you do this voluntarily? I am a member of the local spiritual assembly here, but we have no individual authority. Our authority comes from the collective. Resistance is futile. Abdul Baha, the second leader of our faith, said, These spiritual assemblies are aided by the Spirit of God, and they are shining lamps and heavenly gardens, from which the fragrances of holiness are diffused over all regions, and the lights of knowledge are shed abroad over all created things. Now that is some real flowery bullshit. Excuse me? All right, well, we have no time to find your eight hippies or this Abdul Baha character, which, by the way, sounds suspiciously Middle Eastern. Can you just make the call and tell me whether Jesus has been spotted around this temple? It's just a metaphor. It makes rich North Shore ladies and pretentious yuppies feel good about themselves without subscribing to one of the hate religions. So figuratively speaking, anyone might have seen Jesus here. Or Baha'u'llah, or Buddha, or Krishna, or Vishnu, or Abraham, or Moses, or Muhammad, or Zoroaster, or Zeus, or Mithras, or Ra, or the Great Spirit, or Guru Nana. Oh my god, or... shut up. Well, I'm not asking about figuratively. I'm asking whether or not you've had an actual sighting of Jesus somewhere on the grounds or in the temple. A physical sighting, like seeing a rainbow after a storm. We believe that God is unknowable. Therefore, God cannot incarnate himself to be present among men. Maybe it's been so long since you were at Northwestern you forgot how to do basic research. You calling me old? Because I'll kick your ass right here. If the shoe fits... That's it. Hold the mic. It's go time. Bring it, you baby killer. Ah!
Ladies, ladies, break it up. Jesus. Oh my. Oh my God. Quit. Hang on, Rob. Hey, yuck. Oh my God. Ow. Ooh. That's going to leave a mark. Dang. Tougher than she looks. Sorry, Rob, but as usual, the only Jesus here is the guy mowing the grass around this massive lawn ornament. And the weather is windy and cold as shit. We're on a bluff over goddamn Lake Michigan. Alrighty then. I'm out of here. There's got to be 15 Starbucks within a mile of this yuppie trap. I believe in Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and Hindus. I believe in Baha'u'llah. This one goes out to all of the believers, all of the worshipers, clergy, all the leaders, priests, bishops, yeah, all of the ministry. Among us rabbis, all with divinity. I can't forget about the monks and the gurus and all the common folks. Yeah, this is for you too. For those who... AU presents Grumpy Jim's. What do you mean, Grumpy? Libertarian Minute. I'm Libertarian. I was stuck behind a uh, parade of uh, people from the Lutheran Church, but it was 39th Avenue. There was a funeral, apparently, of some. It must have been somebody important because there must have been 100 cars holding up traffic for about a half an hour on 75th. But anyway, I was thinking, what is this whole industry about death and dying? All these religious things you go through just to die after being persecuted by religion all your entire life. Then you die persecuted by religion. Then I was thinking about, about cemeteries. Why in the hell do we maintain all these cemeteries polluting the entire world with dead bodies? They're all another exercise in government-mandated religion. In fact, now that the Chinese are not accepting our plastic and other garbage, we could convert all these cemeteries, get rid of all this crap, and, and, and start piling up uh, you know, our plastic and our other garbage is landfill and cemeteries. Cemeteries. This has been Grumpy Jim's Libertarian Minute. Join us next time. The opinions expressed are not necessarily those of this station, the producers, or anybody, in fact, other than Grumpy Jim. Here now with secular news and events and commentary is Jojo Vandescoop. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled this week that a 40-foot World War I memorial cross can stay on public land in Maryland. The decision reverses a lower court ruling that said the memorial is unconstitutional. Justice Samuel Alito wrote the opinion for the majority, saying, quote, there is no evidence of discriminatory intent in the selection of the design of the memorial or the decision of a Maryland commission to maintain it. The religion clause of the Constitution aims to foster a society in which people of all beliefs can live together harmoniously, and the presence of the Bladensburg Cross on the land where it has stood for so many years is fully consistent with that aim. Legal experts claim this decision opens the door to expanding religion's influence in the public sphere. All right, so what does everybody think about that? The, the cross can stay per the Christian majority Supreme Court. Big surprise. I, I disagree. Um, I know the reason why people are against having it removed is because it stands as a memorial, but the fact that it has to be a cross, 
I, I don't agree with that. The fact that this monkey Alito has the balls to say that it represents the plurality of I mean, how do you even write that with a straight face? It obviously favors one religion only, and it doesn't because because everyone else is being forced to accept it. That's what he means by that. We every other minority religion is forced to live with the Christian cross. So that for that reason, it represents the fact that we're accepting of all religion. I just don't get what it seems contradictory. Well, the NPR article did also mention that Alito's opinion did say that he believes that the cross, um, because it stood for so long, has lost its religiosity, which does sound absurd as well. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but anytime I see a cross, the first thing I think of is religion, the Christian religion. Um, what we don't even know that. I think they said there was 49 people that it, it represents their deaths and it memorializes for them. But we don't know that they were all Christian. We don't know that they all would have been okay with being memorialized by a cross. And there's other cities that have memorials for those who have fallen in, in wars. And they're not always crosses. Sometimes they're just pillars. Sometimes there's plaques. I, I don't believe that it needs to remain as a cross. And if they want to keep it, just move it off of you know public or uh, private grounds. Public, public grounds. I like that idea, having just a plaque with the names mm -hmm. instead. They could make it a large plaque. They could make it a like a photo frame of pictures. Right. Well, and even in Milwaukee, we have it's just a, a small cluster of pillars, and they're large marble pillars. There's a plaque on them. Um, it, it's beautiful, it, and it doesn't represent anything specific other than being a memorial. When I think about a cross, I can't imagine that anybody would not immediately attribute that to Christianity. I mean, if you polled anybody who wasn't Christian and showed them a cross, are they not going to identify it exclusively with Christianity? Of course they are. So it just seems, I don't know, intellectually dishonest to pretend otherwise. And when he talks about it's okay because the intent wasn't such. I'm, I mean, I'm no lawyer, but I'm not sure what intent has got to do with it. Either it's in violation well, of the Constitution or it's not. And so how do they justify overruling a previous... I, would, I, I have to study this more, but this just seems really off. It seems like a pretty obvious Christian majority court move. The, the one the, the Jewish justice wrote the dissenting opinion and explained why it's offensive to non-Christians. Why wouldn't they listen to the non-Christian? <laughs> you know, it's it, and it, it comes from a time when there probably was. They probably all forty-nine probably were Christians because it came from a t a, the day when there there was really was a ridiculous majority of Christians or people who just wouldn't have thought twice about a cross representing them and no one else to complain about it. And if there was no Jewish people in the town in nineteen nineteen or nineteen thirty or whenever they did it, you can understand it. But it doesn't play these days. It's absolutely. Uh, offensive to, to to more than just the one Jewish soldier in that World War One battle. It's offensive to anyone who serves in the military now and looks at it and says, "What about us?" In Alaska, about a dozen attendees of a local government meeting in Kenai Peninsula Borough walked out after an invocation was given by a representative of the Satanic Temple, Iris Fontana. The representative who gave the invocation ended it with the words, Hail Satan. During public comment at the meeting, some audience members offered Christian prayers while Barrett Fletcher, the pastor of the First Lower Peninsula Congregation of Pastafarians, 
said the borough should nix invocations altogether and, quote, stop offending people, unquote. That's an awesome story. <laughs> how, how nice is it that in Alaska they've got one uh, satanic temple representative and one pastafarian representative? I don't think you're going to get that mix in too many places. It's like an episode of Northern Exposure. <laughs> it's all these characters. I, th- I like the idea of just nixing the invocation altogether. I don't see a reason for it if people are going to get all hurt because their their side isn't represented. Uh, hail Satan. Oh, you know, no better way to right. scare Christians than to... Oh, hail the pasta man. Satan. Yeah, the pasta man had it right. He's and like, stop offending people. Invocations have nothing to do with city business. They really don't. I don't know. The satanic temple invocation there. Are they scared that they're like haunted now? Are they going to all go to hell because they were there for the the satanic invocation? What better way to disprove religion than to... Like, we should get a circle with some salt and, like, let's see what happens. Let's go. Right? Candles, big pentagram, yeah. what is it? Whatever it is. Let's yeah. See. Let's, let's bring him. Problem is he's already there at freaking city council <laughs> meetings. In Quebec, Canada... A law recently passed that prohibits public school teachers, government lawyers, judges, and police officers from wearing religious symbols while at work. The legislation also includes rules that would require citizens receiving a public service to uncover their faces for identification or security purposes. The National Council of Canadian Muslims and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association filed a motion in Quebec Superior Court seeking an injunction and want the law to be declared invalid. That's the old can they cover their faces thing that seems to be happening everywhere. I don't think it's going to happen here. That's one of those things about America that's to me a big, seems like a big contradiction. We're so anti-Muslim, but we'll probably never even approach that. Well, because you say it's because of religion. That's like the kryptonite to everything in this country. Um, you can pretty much get away with anything if you say it's you know your sincerely held religious belief. Yeah, you cannot treat your kids. <laughs> yeah, I kind of get it, and we've had this discussion before with the religious symbols at work, uh, where we said you know you can understand it can be intimidating for someone to come in. So I, I can see it. In the story, didn't they also say something about the? They want us to be able to cover their faces? Is that what it was? Um, Well, it's a separate part of that same bill um, where they want people that are receiving receiving services from the government to have to show their faces. That I'm okay with. I mean, for a security standpoint, I mean, just given my background, when people are covered up, it's a little more sketchy. I don't know like what it's referring to exactly in the story. I think it'd be interesting to explore it. I mean, it's definitely targeted towards Muslims. So you're like, well, is that something that, you know, we should be defending because it's kind of a anti-female practice to begin with because, like, well, they're forcing them to cover themselves. But that's not always the way they see it. You get the side of, well, the, is the hijab a sign of uh, feminist empowerment or is it oppression? It can be both, I feel, when you have situations like this where, you know, you have a government trying to tell people, no, you can't wear your religious, uh, you know, covering and you would get some people certainly that want to argue that that is their religion and they should be allowed to do it. And that is, you know, in that case, it's empowering to them. 
And then you have situations in the Middle East where, you know, they can't go outside without it and you can't, you know, drive a car and all this other stuff where it certainly is a tool of oppression. So it's, it's kind of both. It's, uh, to me, the, the, the motivation behind it's immaterial to the government's decision. Why, the fact that it might be a tool of oppression or it might not be, it shouldn't enter into it. The fact is that it could be a disguise, plain and simple. It could be somebody trying to hide something. And I don't know how you tell the government that the, the, in this day and age that they can't make somebody identify themselves. How, how do you, you know, and if it seems like it's targeting Muslims, but those are the people who cover their faces up. So under what conditions do they have to uncover? Is it just in these When they need government buildings? services, it said. When they need, government like if they're applying services. for welfare, they're applying for, you know, somebody, they have to prove that it's actually them. I, mean, I, don't, I don't see how you can really argue against that. It's not like they're making them never wear it in public or not. They're asking them to, to, to identify themselves positively when they need some government service that they need their identification proved. And, and that's where I think, like, if they're allowed to show themselves to other women, maybe you have a female on staff who's able to identify them maybe out of the public view so that they can say, yes, this person is who they claim to be. Um, and that way, that's a way around it. I don't know that... It, that's a tough one. I think it's a real common sense solution, though, what you just said. Mm -hmm. Then you don't have to make them do it in public. Right. And you still can get your objective of your security. Yeah. To play devil's advocate, I would only say that that's just adding, it's a, it, that might make it inconvenient for a government somewhere. There might be a place where there's just not a staffer who's a female, and that's the way it is for that person in the in the wild. Well, then they don't have equality in the workplace, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's just no women over there to worry. Now, they didn't want to hire women. Right. They just don't happen to hire women in this in this. Burqa-wearing Muslim needs to be identified by an agent. I'm sure there's software that could do it. Right. You know what I mean? Or maybe you can go by fingerprints but or something. At, at some point, it's like, come on. You know, the government needs you to comply. It's not a, a rape. You're going to have to get over it. In conference news, Skepticon 11 kicks off August 9th and continues the weekend through the 11th. The annual St. Louis event is the largest free skeptic conference in the nation. They do a great job every year of bringing a fantastic variety of seminars, entertainers, and speakers. This year's lineup includes Ashton P. Woods, Rose Eveleth, Dr. Huem Navarro Rivera, Megan Kenny, Rajani Gudlavaletti, Indre Viscantas, Cora Harrington, and wraps up on Sunday with the very alliterative pairing of Miri Mogilevsky and Marissa McCool. Tickets, again, remarkably, amazingly, are free. Register and get more information at Skepticon.org. That is it for Mortality Lane. Get your asses back on the train. And thanks for joining our little celebration of death. But remember, we are really here to celebrate the death of evangelical religion in America. Yes, it's slowly happening. Don't be discouraged, but make sure you get out there and vote. Let your voices be heard. This is not the country that we want. This is not the government we want. These are not our people. Even if you are religious, you know that you don't want these zealots in charge. And it is indeed going away slowly as pundits perceive a paucity of Puritan poopers in pews on Sunday. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Please do support on Patreon if you can, and remember to find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, the Tube of You. And we will see you next time down the road at Grief Street. Take care, everybody.
Grief Street. Grief Street is next.